Welcome to the North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to 1 Kings chapter 18. 1 Kings chapter 18. Um, Actually, we're going to jump right in. I want to start this message this morning by reading a couple of passages of Scripture. Uh, We do this from time to time. We don't do it often, but we're going to start with Scripture. So we're going to stand to our feet today. So I know you guys just got set down and comfortable, but uh, we're going to have you stand back up so we can honor God's Word as we read our opening passages here this morning. 1 Kings chapter 18 We're going to start in verse 41. Then Elijah, who is the guy that we've been talking about throughout this Peaks and Valleys series, then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink, for I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. The King James Version says, For I hear an abundance of rain. Elijah tells Ahab, Go and get something to eat and drink. You better get going because the rain is coming. The rain is coming. I can hear it. The rain is coming. Turn to three people and say, the rain is coming. The rain is coming. The rain is coming. Verse 42, he goes on to say this. It says, so Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel, which is where the showdown takes place that we're going to talk about in just a minute. And he bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his between his knees. Then he said to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I don't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go out and look. And so we read this passage and we think, why seven times? Why did Elijah send his servant out to look into the sea to see if the rain was coming seven times? And and I believe it's because of this. It's because though it didn't look like rain, though the sky was sunny and there wasn't a cloud in sight, Elijah could hear the rain in his spirit. He could hear the rain in his soul. He could hear the rain in that secret place that the Lord speaks, in in that that voice that spoke to him in the valley of Kareth there when he was in complete isolation, when he learned to trust that voice over anything else, it was that voice that was saying, the rain is coming. And so when he sent his servant to go look for the rain, and his servant says, it doesn't look like rain, he sent him back. And he says, go look again. Go look again. Go look again. Because the Lord is telling me that the rain is coming. And if he says the rain is coming, it's coming. So go look again. Go look again. Go look again. Turn to three people and say, go look again. Go look again. Go look again. Because the rain is coming. Verse 44, finally, the seventh time his servant told him, I saw a little cloud the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah turned and shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Verse 45, then soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let's raise our hands if you feel comfortable towards heaven this morning, and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you, and we are begging you this morning to send the rain. Lord Jesus, send the rain of your blessing. Send the rain of your anointing. Send the rain of your spirit. Send the rain of your provision, Lord Jesus, on us, on a dry and thirsty land, on a dry and thirsty people, Lord Jesus. Let revival sweep this place. Let your anointing fill us up, Lord Jesus. 
Jesus, rain on our families, rain on our nation, rain on our communities, Lord, rain on our churches, and rain on us as individuals, Lord Jesus. Refresh us, restore us, renew us, Lord Jesus. Let your blessings surround us and fill us up and overtake us in a way that we couldn't outrun it if we tried. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. Send the rain. Send the rain, Lord. Send the rain. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys can go ahead and be seated this morning. Man, I am excited to be here. I hope that you're excited too because I believe that the rain is coming. I believe it's coming because I can hear it in my spirit. I can hear it in my heart. Sometimes we look around and we think it doesn't feel like it, but man, I can hear it. I can hear the rain coming. In our context, in our culture today, when we think of rain, um, we often view rain as symbolizing something bad, right? Uh, uh, we, we say things like, I don't mean to rain on your parade, right? Because rain at a parade is terrible. Have you ever been at a parade when it's raining? It's terrible. You know, I don't mean to rain on your parade. Or, or when things are like bad in our life, when we've had like a series of things happen that are just negative and, and it's one bad thing after another and then it gets worse, what do we say? We say, when it rains, it pours. When, when it rains, it pours. And, and so we usually have sort of this negative connotation about rain. We think of that, those cartoons or those uh, commercials where there's a guy walking around and there's a little storm cloud following him wherever he goes, like, and he can't escape it. And it's sunshine over here and sunshine over here and rain on him wherever he goes. And so it's like this really sort of like a bummer deal, like it's a negative thing when we think about rain. But in the context of Scripture, rain was always symbolic of God's blessing. Rain was always symbolic of God's anointing. Aside only from Noah's flood, that was the only time that rain represented anything else. But in Scripture, rain was symbolic of God's blessing. Moses tells the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 11, he says, Obey the commands of the Lord and love him with all of your heart, and when you do, I will send the rain in their proper seasons. And so Moses is literally telling the people, like, look, if you love God, if you worship God, if you obey God, if you do everything that God asks you to do, he will respond to the people by sending rain, sending the early rain, sending the late rain. Like God's response, God's blessing, God's favor over a nation was always represented in rain. Rain was a symbol of God's blessing. And rain was always a matter of life and death. In 1 Kings chapter 18, which is kind of where we've been hanging out over the last couple of weeks, there has been a massive lack of rain. If you haven't been here, I'll kind of give you a little bit of background to catch you up. The lack of rain and the lack of water had reached a critical level because Ahab, the king of Israel, had allowed his wife Jezebel to come in and introduce to the nation of Israel the worship of Baal. Now, Baal was a, a Phoenician god, and they called him the storm god, and his specialty was rain. And so people would pray to Baal, and Baal was supposed to respond by sending rain and, and producing fertile crops. And, and God wasn't happy that Jezebel had introduced the worship of Baal to the nation of Israel. He wasn't happy that the people of Israel were beginning to worship Baal. And he wasn't happy because uh, Jezebel not only wanted to introduce the worship of Baal, but she wanted to completely eradicate the worship of the Lord God, Jehovah God, the God of the Bible from Israel. And so God responds by sending Elijah the prophet to Ahab, and he marches into the throne room and he says, Ahab, or he says to Ahab, Look, 
Um, God's not happy with this. You say that Baal is the rain God, but God, Jehovah God, is going to show you who is more powerful. And so he is going to shut up the heavens. There's going to be no rain and no dew on this land, Elijah says, until I give the word. <coughs> now, I don't know exactly how they responded initially. Um, scripture tells us that, that shortly thereafter, God sends Elijah to the Valley of Kareth in isolation, in protection, sort of uh, solitary confinement or, or you know, you know that, that protection place. But, but we don't know how they responded initially because I begin to wonder if maybe they looked at Elijah and thought, man, this guy is just crazy. He's just nutso, just a weirdo creep. Uh, scripture tells us about Elijah. The only physical descriptions that they give about Elijah is that he was hairy and wore a leather belt, okay? And so this hairy guy with a leather belt comes in and says there's gonna be no rain. And they're like, well, Whatever, this weirdo, I don't know what he's up to. But days, weeks, months, and years went by, and there was no rain, just as Elijah had said. Things are looking really bad for the nation of Israel. Things are looking bad for the king. At this point, all the cisterns, all the wells, all the lakes, all the rivers, all the reservoirs have completely dried up. There's no water, there's no moisture, there's no rain. The drought that God had brought on the land had become a matter of life and death for the entire nation of Israel. But listen, God was ready to restore his blessings on the land. But before he restored his blessings, he wanted to get the people's attention. I believe that God is ready to restore his blessings on us here today. I believe that God is ready to pour out his blessings on our nation. I believe that God is ready to pour out his blessings on our uh, communities. I believe that God is ready to pour out his blessings on our church, amen? I believe that God is ready to pour out his blessings on our families. I believe that God is ready to open up the floodgates of heaven and rain down on all of us. God wants to do something special and refreshing and life-giving in and through us and for us in this season and in my heart and in my spirit. And I'm not just saying this because it fits with the context of the message this morning, but in my heart and in my spirit, I can hear the rain. I can hear it. And I believe that God is up to something. <clears throat> so three years, Elijah has been hiding from King Ahab and Jezebel because they wanted him dead. He was the guy who said no rain is coming. It was hurting the nation, and so they wanted him dead. And so for three years, uh, he's been hiding from them. And for three years, God has been providing for Elijah in supernatural ways. The, the ravens were bringing him breakfast and lunch and dinner. They'd just fly in in a flock of birds and they'd all drop their food and they'd fly off. And, and God was supernaturally supplying him food there by the valley of Kareth. And um, then after that brook dried up, God sent him to a widow who had no food. And Elijah said, would you feed me? And the widow said, no, I don't have anything to feed you with. I'm going to make one meal for me and my son, and then we're going to literally lay down and die because we have no hope. And Elijah says, you go ahead and feed me first, and God will supply. And, and they did what he asked, and they fed him first, and then God just began to multiply the oil and flour. And every single day, they'd pour out a little bit more oil, and God would provide just enough for the meal for that day. And so for three years, God was supernaturally sustaining Elijah. 
And then after that three years, God talks to Elijah. He, he calls him out and he says, look, Elijah, I'm ready to restore my blessings on the people of Israel. I'm ready to restore my blessings on the land. I'm ready to pour out. Oftentimes when we think of God and we think of things not going well, we think that God is up in heaven and he's got his arms crossed and he's like, man, I don't want to do anything good for these people. These people are annoying me. These people are driving me crazy. I'm not going to do anything good for them. But the reality is that God is so um, overloaded with blessings. God is so overloaded with abundance that he is desiring. He wants to pour out his blessing. He wants to pour out his anointing. He wants to pour out his provision on the people. And so, and so even those times where we're running from God, where we're doing our best to get outside of that position of blessing, God is seeking us. God is running us down because it is his heart's desire to pour out his blessings. Do you believe that this morning? God wants to bless his people. And so he tells Elijah, go to Ahab because I'm ready to bless my people. Like, this drought is bothering me more than it's bothering anybody else because I have an abundance of blessing for these people and they're not receiving it and I'm ready to pour it out. And so he tells Elijah, go talk to Ahab and let's get this thing started. And so Elijah, he goes to Ahab and he tells him, look, you know, God is, is ready to send the rain, um, but he proposes a challenge. And so Elijah invites all the people of Israel. And this is important to know who was there and who was, who was watching, who was present at this moment. He invites all the people of Israel to watch the showdown. And he tells Ahab, go call all the people, tell them to meet me up on Mount Carmel. And then you invite 450 prophets of Baal. And, you know, I don't think 450 versus one is enough. So why don't you go ahead and invite 400 prophets of Asherah as backup because they're going to need it. And so Elijah is proposing this epic showdown on top of Mount Carmel. And he says, bring the entire nation of Israel, bring all the people here to watch. And so Ahab says, you know, the odds are 850 to one. Ahab likes those odds, and so he invites all the people of Israel to come witness, to come watch, to be spectators to this massive event. And, and this showdown on Mount Carmel is about to begin. It's interesting to note as well that the Phoenicians who worshipped Baal believed that Mount Carmel was the dwelling place for Baal, the, the storm god, the rain god. They believed that that's where he lived. They believed that Mount Carmel was his home. And so what Elijah is saying, he's saying, hey, we're going to go to your God's house. We're going to go have a little contest right in your God's backyard. Then Elijah, as everybody is there, as the 850 prophets, the false prophets are there, and, and all the people are there, and, the, and then the man of God is there, he goes over the rules. He says, okay, this is what the contest is going to look like. He says, we each have a bull. You prepare your bull on your altar. You build up, I'll build up my altar. I'll prepare my bull. We'll, we'll, we'll do everything we can to get it ready. <clears throat> we'll pray. Nobody's going to light a match. Nobody has a, a lighter fluid or anything like that. Nobody's going to ignite the wood. But after we prepare it, we're going to pray, you to Baal, me to the Lord God. And whichever God responds by igniting their altar with fire is the Lord. And when he lays out the rules of the contest, Scripture says the people that were surrounding them, the, the people of Israel were like, yes, let's do that. That sounds awesome. I love it. This is going to be great. You remember when you were in junior high, you were in like fourth or fifth period, and you found out there was going to be a fight after school? How many of you remember that? 
You were like, yes, I can't wait. And you were so excited all day to see like the showdown in the park, right? This is kind of what's happening. Elijah says, we're going to have this epic showdown. And all the people are like, yes, I want to watch. I want to be there. How many of you would like to have been there to see this, right? I know I would have. I mean, I think, yeah, it's awesome. You work your way up to the front so you get a good seat. And so all the people are like, yes, let's do it. Then Elijah tells the prophets of Baal, look, guys, this is your home turf. You got home field advantage. You guys go ahead and you guys go first. So this is what happened. So the 450 prophets of Baal, they, they prepared their altar. They, they sacrificed their bowl. They put it on the altar and they began praying. So for four or five hours, four or five hours, these, these prophets of Baal are praying. And they're praying, and they're asking Baal to, to send fire. And they're praying, asking Baal to send fire, and, and there's just absolutely no response. So then Scripture says they begin to dance. They begin to hobble around their altar. They're doing weird jigs and gyrations to try to get the attention of Baal. Still, there's no response. Around noontime, the Bible tells us that um, I would imagine Elijah is really enjoying the show. And all the people are watching, too, like, when's the fire coming? About noontime, Elijah begins to talk some serious smack to the prophets of Baal. Like he begins to mock them in a biblical fashion, amen? I know your moms and dads always told you it's not good to mock people. Well, Elijah tells us different, okay? He begins to make fun of them. He begins to mock them. He begins to call them out. He says things like, hey, maybe you guys aren't being loud enough. You know, maybe Baal's getting old and he's a little hard of hearing. Maybe you need to speak up a little bit. He says, obviously he's a God. We know that Baal is a God. You know, it, it's not a question of is he powerful enough because he's Baal and he must be powerful enough. But, but maybe he's in the bathroom. That's what's great. Maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's in the bathroom. And boy, he's been in the bathroom a long time. Come on, Baal, let's wrap it up in there. Let's get out here. We got some things to do. This is what Elijah is saying to the prophets of Baal. He says, maybe he's daydreaming. Or he says, maybe he isn't home. What a bummer, because we're at his house. You know, we're where he lives. Maybe he left. Maybe he's gone on a trip. That's unfortunate for you guys. You're knocking and ringing the doorbell. You're like, hey, is anybody? Maybe he's just gone. Maybe he's not here. Maybe he's not home. And he says, hey, you know what? I bet he's sleepy. You guys just need to wake him up. Just wake him up. Maybe he's sleeping. And he's just taunting the prophets and taunting the prophets. And so the prophets of Baal respond. They begin to take it up a notch. They shouted louder. They danced harder. Scripture says they even began to cut themselves. So they'd cut themselves and they'd pour their blood out on the altar trying to ignite Baal's favor and to convince Baal to respond, offering their blood as incentive for Baal to respond by fire. Now, aren't you thankful that our God doesn't demand our blood? Aren't you thankful that our God doesn't demand our blood? Our God shed his blood so we wouldn't have to. There's a major difference in that. Our God has been pouring out blessings in favor on us before we were even in a position to know how to receive it. But our God was ready. Our God was saying, look, you don't have to give your blood. I'm going to give my blood so that I can restore you to relationship with me. Finally, back to the story. It's getting late in the day. Elijah has heard enough praying. He's seen enough dancing. He's watched them cut themselves enough, and he says, okay, guys, that's enough. Let's, let's, you're done. You're done. You had your chance. It's my turn. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 30, it says this, then Elijah called to the people. Everybody say the people. I think we often misread this story. I know I have. 
Most of the time, I thought that God wanted to do something special through Elijah. God wanted to establish his man of God and, and, and prop him up and, and show the world how great he is through this man of God. But, but I think I've missed that. I'm becoming more and more convinced that God wanted to do something not just through Elijah, but more importantly, God wanted to do something in the people. God wanted to do something in the people. And forever I've read this story and I've completely missed the presence of the people. And so Elijah, as he's getting ready to, to take his turn, he calls to the people. He says, guys, come here. Let's press in. I know there's a lot of you, but let's press in. You in the back, get close, get close. I want you to see this. Everybody come in, and, and the masses begin to crowd in tight. And Scripture says they all crowded around him as he prepared the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. You see, for three years, Jezebel had outlawed the worship of Jehovah God in the land of Israel. And so the, the altar that was there prepared and dedicated to the Lord was now in disrepair. It was in ruins. It had been knocked down. And Elijah wanted them to be reminded of what it meant to honor God. Elijah wanted them to remember when they would worship God. How, you know, too many times in our lives, we stop obeying God. We stop worshiping God. We stop giving. We stop serving. We stop sacrificing to God because we aren't willing to pay the cost. There's always a cost, and too many times we just completely abandon. We completely reject our spiritual disciplines. Our love for God is in complete disrepair because we aren't willing to pay the cost. Sometimes it's a social cost. Sometimes it's a relational cost. Sometimes it's a financial cost. But too many times we think, you know what this. This cost, whatever it is, it's, it's not fitting into what's best for me. It's not convenient for me. It's not giving me an opportunity to feel loved and, and to advance my career, my life, my happiness. And, and, and we oftentimes would say, I'd rather blend in than stand out. But what we don't realize, and I need you all to hear this this morning, what we don't realize is that it's oftentimes our lack of obedience, our lack of worship, our lack of sacrifice that is holding back the reins. It's because we aren't doing what God has asked us to do, and it's because we stopped doing those things that we once did that God is saying, look, I want to pour my reins out, but until you begin to, I can't. So Elijah says to the people, come close, come close. I need you guys to see this. I need you to remember what it's like to honor God. Verse 31, he says, it says, he took 12 stones, one to represent each of the tribes of Israel. He used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bowl into pieces, and laid the pieces on the wood. And so he prepared everything. He was ready. We think this is good enough. He's fully prepared the altar. He's ready to pray. But before he prays, he does something completely absurd. He does something absolutely ridiculous in every, every way, shape, or form. Scripture says, then he said, then Elijah said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. Verse 34. After they had done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said, and water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. And so there was so much water that they poured out on the altar. Everything was drenched, soaking wet, and 
there was so much water that they poured out that his trench was filled. And so not only did it seep into the ground and soak into the ground in that dry, thirsty land, absorb all that moisture, but there was so much that, that it filled the, the trench and it stayed there. It was a lot of water. Now, it's so crucial that we understand this because when I've read this and perhaps when you've read this, we, we've all kind of looked at it through the context of God's or Elijah's just kind of showing off, Right? That this is pretty consistent with Elijah's character. I mean, this, he's talking smack, and now he dumps water on it. Like he's, you know, he's puffing his chest, and he's showing off. Because the reality, and we know this, this isn't rocket science. If you build an altar, and the goal is fire, it's not wet wood, but it's dry wood that works best. Yes? I mean, this isn't news to anybody. We know this. So... I don't know, maybe perhaps Elijah's showing off just a little bit, but maybe he's upping the level of difficulty for God. Maybe he's just making it harder for God, right? Maybe he's just upping the wow factor, like, like a knife thrower. You, you know, you've seen those knife throwers that throw the knives at the girl that's on the, the, the wheel that's spinning. You guys know what I'm talking about. And he throws the knives at her, and everybody's like, oh, don't stick. And, uh, and, uh, and then they're throwing the knives, and then what does he do? He grabs the blindfold, right? He's like, ooh, watch, this is going to be super cool. That was cool. This is going to be super cool. And so maybe it's just Elijah saying, look, you think that's going to be cool? Watch, all this water. Now it's going to be super cool. Uh, but what I've come to realize is that the water wasn't about Elijah showing off. The, and the water, really, the water wasn't making it more difficult for God. It, it really wasn't. I mean, God's not sitting up in heaven with a ball of fire like a pitcher on the pitching mound ready, ready to strike, right? He's not up there. He's not you know, getting his arm ready. He's not, he's not preparing that ball of fire. And then when he looks down, he sees Elijah dumping four large jars of water on the altar. He's like, Elijah, what are you doing? Stop. You ruined it. Now what am I supposed to do with this ball of fire? It's not going to work. Now you got it all wet. Like, like, we know that that's absurd. Um, Elijah wasn't doing that to make it more difficult for God. So what was the water about? I'm convinced that the water was about the people. The water was about the people. Because up until this moment, the people had been spectators. Up until this moment, all they had done is watch. They'd been spectators. But God wanted to move the people from spectators to participants. Remember how this is playing out. Elijah said, gather around, come close. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour the water over the offering and the wood. And so the question is, who did he say that to? Who did he give that instruction to? The people. He said that to the people. Now remember the context of this. They were in the middle of a drought. There had been no rain or no dew for the last three years, water was so scarce that livestock and people were, were literally dying because they had no water. Water was the most precious thing on earth in that region at the time. It was the most valuable thing that they had. And Elijah says, dump four large jars of water on the altar. Now do it again. Now do it again. Now the question we have to try to answer, and I believe it's the question that's critical to fully understand what God is doing here, is this. Where did they get the water from? Where did they get the water? Some commentaries suggest that they made 
the, the 10 mile trek down Mount Carmel to the Mediterranean Sea, got the water from there, and, uh, and then came back with that, that salt water. And, uh, and that was the water that they were using there from the Mediterranean Sea. But it doesn't seem likely due to the fact that Scripture gives us a time frame. And, and Elijah required three different pourings out of the water. So, so they wouldn't have made that 10-mile trek, came back, they dumped it, and he sent them down again, came back, sent them down again, because there wouldn't have been time for that. So where did the water come from? It says, fill four large jars with water. I, I would imagine they had identified a spokesperson and said, Elijah, what water? We're in the middle of a drought, remember? It's kind of your fault, too. Like, we've pumped the whales, nothing, remember? Like, like, there's no water. Where do you want us to get this water? And I wonder if Elijah didn't point to them and say, use the stuff that you brought. Use your personal supply. I'm looking out amongst the crowd. I see canteens. I see Evian. You know, I see the Dasani there in your back pocket. You know, use, use your water. Dump out your, use your personal supply. Fill the jars. And I wonder how long it took before people began to respond. Because remember, this was all they had. And water for them was precious. It was the difference between life and death. They couldn't make it without this water. And Elijah says, fill the jar. Dump your personal supply into the jar. And he looks across the crowd. He says, I see some of you with, with you know, your personal canteens. Come and pour your waters into the jar. You over there who haven't given yet, come pour your water into the jar. And you come on, pour your water into the jar. And they waste it by dumping it onto the altar. He sets the four jugs down again. He says, there's some of you that still haven't given. Come pour your water into the jars. Pour your water into the jars. And he wastes it again by dumping it on to the altar. He says, there's still some of you who are holding back. You can't hold back. There's some of you who, who are keeping what God has given you. Come pour it into the jar. And he Four times, or three times, he gets four large jars full of water, and he dumps it onto the altar. And after 12 jars full of water have been wasted, poured, dumped on the altar, so much so that it's pulled up into the trench. Remember, it was dry ground. It was ground that hadn't had any moisture for 12 years, so the ground was thirsty, and so sucking all that water down deep. But it was enough water to fill the trench that Elijah says, okay, that's good, that's enough, you can stop. Verse 36, at the usual time for offering the evening sacrifice, there's our time frame, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Listen to this. Answer me so that these people, listen, answer me, Lord, so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself and that you, O Lord God, are ready to restore blessing and that you, O Lord God, have never abandoned these people even when they abandon you and that you, O Lord God, are the ruler and the author and the finisher of our faith and the universe and creation and the reign and that it's you, O Lord God, that are wanting to bless these people. Verse 38, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. It even licked up all the water in the trench. There was a moment God sent that fireball from heaven and poof, everything was gone, all of it. The water, the bull, the dust, the wood, everything is just evaporated, gone. 
And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Elijah then commanded the people of Israel to kill the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah. They basically wiped out the evil demonic influence from their nation. And then it was a short time later that Elijah says the words that we began the service with this morning. Ahab, you better eat and drink and you better get going because I can hear the rain coming. I can hear the rain. I can hear the rain. It's coming. It's coming. But we have to understand something. Before God opened the floodgates of heaven, before God poured out an abundance of rain, before he filled to full and overflowing not only their canteens, but their cisterns, their reservoirs, their wells, their lakes, and their rivers, and before God poured out the abundance, he first required the people to participate in the process. They had to give what little they had before God supplied more than what they needed. I'm convinced of something. When we give corporately, God will bless individually. Let me say it again. When we give corporately, God will bless individually. Because every single one of them, as the nation of Israel began to give to God, and God blessed them in abundance in such a way that the entire nation was blessed, but every single person as an individual was a recipient of that blessing as well. When we give corporately, God blesses individually. You see, there's always an abundance in God's economy. There's always an abundance in God's economy. Oftentimes what happens is we just get scared and we hold on to what we have. Because our source is limited, we, we assume that God's source is limited. And so we think, you know, I only have this much, so I have to hold on to what I have. But God is saying when you give freely, it allows God to give freely. And God has an abundance of supply. So many of us are so busy guarding our canteen, we don't realize that God wants to fill the aquifers. We guard what we have. <clears throat> and God is saying, if you would just pour out, then I'll pour out. If you give from the canteen, I'll pour out an abundance. And if you give again from the canteen, I'll pour out an abundance. I believe that God wants his people to understand something in this generation, in our church, in this season. God didn't call us here to just witness. He didn't call us to watch. He called us to participate. He called us to be a part. <clears throat> and I believe that God wants to establish a culture of generosity in this season. I believe that he wants to establish a culture of generosity in our homes and in this church. But not just today, not just in this one kingdom builder's moment. But I believe that God is calling that to be a part of our DNA. So here in just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pour out from your individual canteens because it was only after the people poured out the water that God sent the rain. And so today we're going to introduce a brand new initiative that we've been praying about, that we've been wrestling through. We've been seeking God's faith, face on this. We've been asking God, what do you want us to do? And it's this initiative that we're going to call Kingdom Builders. And we're not just going to talk about this today, but, but we believe that God is um, basically tattooing this into our DNA, that this is who he wants us to be, um, kingdom builders. If you all, when you came in this morning, you should have received a kingdom builder card. Um, if you have that, go ahead and pull that out. 
Could you find that and pull that out? If there's anybody who didn't get one of these cards, could you raise your hands and we'll get one of our ushers to come? We got some hands up. <clears throat> if you didn't get this card, please raise your hand. Our ushers can get you one. Got this Kingdom Builder card, and, and this, is, this is basically the, the, the first part of this Kingdom Builder process. Um, on that card, we have identified four levels of financial participation within the church. And, and I'll just go over those real quick. You can see that it's, it's an, under that spot that says defining where you're at. So the four levels of financial participation are, the first one is none. Those who are attending North Shore but have not yet contributed anything financially or don't give anything financially. The second category would be a contributor. Some of you are in that contributor category. It's the people who give, maybe sporadically, maybe on a regular basis, but haven't really sat down and done the math and said, yeah, I am committed to giving 10% of my income. Um, but, but, but you give, and, and God is faithful. There's another category there. Some of you are tithers. There's those of you who have committed to giving 10%, or uh, to say it better, returning the tithe, returning the 10% back to the Lord. Those of you who are convinced that everything you have is God's anyway, and if he's allowing you to keep 90% and only asking for 10%, you think, hey, that's a pretty good deal, and you've given, you've returned that 10% back to God on a regular basis. You, you are, you are um, determined to do that. You're almost legalistic about giving that 10% back to God because you know that every time you pour out, God pours out. And then we've identified the category of the kingdom builder. These are the people who are attending, tithing, and giving above and beyond the tithe to help further advance the kingdom of God. The kingdom builders are the people who are just weird when it comes to trusting God, right? The kingdom builders are the heroes when it comes to financial trusting in God because these are the people that say, look, watch this. The more I pour out, the more God pours out on me. And they're just willing over and over again to empty canteens and empty canteens and empty canteens. And you ask them, why do you keep doing that? What are you doing this for? And they'll tell you, because every time I pour pour out my canteen, I get to stand over here in the shower of God's blessing, and then I pour out my canteen again, and then God showers his blessings all over me, and we're over here thinking, but it certainly, it doesn't work that way, and these kingdom builders will show us that that's not true, because every time we pour out, God pours out, and every time we pour out more, God pours out more, and every time we pour out in excess, God pours out in abundance. I know there's some of you who are like, man, that's, that's, that's crazy. You're telling stories. Look, we have kingdom builders in this church. We have people who have done this, and God has blessed in amazing ways. And honestly, I struggle with talking about money. I don't like talking about money because I always worry what people are going to think and, and who I'm going to offend. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trying to convince myself this morning I'm not going to worry about that today. Because I believe this is the message that the Lord once preached this morning. And I'm convinced that God will be faithful to his word. And I'm not going to apologize for preaching something when God will fulfill the promises of his word. So I'm not preaching something that has a Chris guarantee. I'm preaching something that God has promised he will do. Malachi 3, chapter 10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. So bring the tithes into the storehouse, into the church, so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, this is what God says, if you do that, says the Lord of heaven's armies, 
I will open up the windows of heaven for you. And listen, under the context of what we've been saying, I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Listen, you can hear an abundance of rain beginning to come. He says, try it. Put me to the test in this. He says, when you give, when you give corporately, I will begin to bless individually. And then he says, I dare you. I dare you. Give it a shot. Try it. Test me. My dad would say that sometimes. He would say, test me. I'd be like, ah, I don't think so. Because every time he said, test me, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that if I, then he would. And it was usually some sort of like physical challenge. Hit me again, see what happens. Try it. I'm good. I'm good. But listen, when God says, try it, test me in this, he is way more trustworthy than my dad. See what happens. See what he begins to do. I want to close with this illustration. I believe the Lord gave me last week. God has something he wants to build in us, but also through us. He has a plan. He has a design, a dream, a vision for us. And though we don't always fully know what it looks like, God does. And so, so we have on here a, a bunch of Lego sets. And, and let's just say this represents everything about North Shore. Everything that God has built in and through North Shore for, uh, um, for the last 75, 80 years, okay? I'm going to go ahead and be Batman, okay? Because I got the microphone and I get to be, and, and if you ever get a chance to be Batman, be Batman, right? So I'm going to go ahead and um, say that this is my piece. I'm Batman. Um, we, have, we have a couple other things up here. We have, we have Disco Batman. We'll let Pastor RJ be Disco Batman, right? He can be that. That's you. We have an old guy up here, Alfred. I'll just stop there. Never mind. Just let that go. But I want to talk to you about this because um, my kids are big into Legos and they love the Legos. And the Legos now are different. They're not just squares and blocks. They're, they're specialty pieces. And, and the Legos come in a package with a, a specific purpose. Like you have to build what they give you to build because that's what the designs and the specialty shapes are there for. And so whenever my kids get a packet of Legos, they, they rip the bag open and dump it on the counter. And then whoever's Legos they are, whoever's birthday or whoever got them for Christmas becomes the, the guardian of the pieces and they guard the pieces with ferocity. They're like, they're like a dog protecting a bone and, and another little finger goes up there. Hey, can I help? And they're like, no, get out of here. You know? Like they're guarding the pieces. These are my pieces. If you take one piece and it's not going to work, don't touch the pieces. You dropped it on the floor. And they guard the pieces. And so look, when it comes to the church and building and advancing the kingdom through the church, it works much the same way. God doesn't just, here's the ministry. God gives pieces. And, and when we follow his instructions, we begin to put the pieces together and build what he wants us to build, but there are thousands and thousands of different pieces. But here's the thing. God doesn't give all the pieces to the pastor. Listen, God doesn't say, here, Chris, here are all the pieces. Now you figure it out. That's what we pay you to do. What God does is he distributes the pieces amongst the people of God. 
He passes out the pieces because God wants the people to participate and when they participate, he begins to pour. The reality is that God has given all of us a piece. Some pieces are bigger, some pieces are smaller. Pull out your Lego piece. I gave everybody a, a Lego here this morning, a little piece of this. Pull out your Lego piece. Some of you have a piece, you look at it, you think, man, I can tell this is an important piece. This is significant. I mean, you can tell like that this is a unique piece. Like, I won, I got the best piece. And some of you have a piece that's so small, it's, it's just a square. Maybe it's a tiny little thing, and you're like, ah, I can tell this is not a significant piece. I can tell that this goes somewhere underneath, foundation, inside. Nobody's ever going to see this piece. What you don't realize is that every single piece, big or small, important or boring, is crucial in order to build what God is planning. Every single piece. And so if we look at this, and if this represents like our church, you know, we can identify different things. Like, like we'll say like this piece, this building, represents nine buildings, nine churches that we've helped plant and build in Africa to see the kingdom of God advanced forcefully in a country that's thousands of miles away. We, we can say that this piece would represent our vans. You know, we have four vans out there and they're getting old. Um, they're getting worn down and we're gonna have to replace them very soon. Um, right now, we pick up kids every single Sunday morning. We go get them, we bring them in so that they can eat our breakfast at 10 o'clock. We pick up some adults, we go get them, we bring them in so that we can tell them about the miraculous work of the salvation of God in our lives. And, and we every Wednesday night, we, we pick up a lot of kids. There's 20 alone that come from Blue Hill. And so uh, we have vans and, and many of those vans are, are beginning to kind of fall apart. They're being used well, um, but they're beginning to fall apart. And so some of those things that we're going to have to replace, we got breakfast that we're paying for on a weekly basis. We got um, um, a kids ministry that is just absolutely killing it. And we're reaching hundreds of kids on a monthly basis. And, and we're telling them about Jesus. And, and I believe with all of my heart, and these are the whispers that I hear God telling me is that God doesn't want us to just exist here and build bigger here and do more here. I believe that God is imparting in us a spirit of multiplication. And I believe that it won't be very long that God gives us a whole new table to build on. Now listen, I believe that there are things that God is doing right now and speaking to us. And I was talking to Pastor Dan the other day and Pastor Dan says, I feel like we're beginning to dip our toe into a vision that we can't afford. But if the people of God would begin to pour out what we have corporately, then God will bless individually and God will do a great thing. Because I believe that God is going to give us another table where our church can multiply in another town, in another city, whether it's Blue Hill, Sutton, Aurora, I don't know where it is, but I feel God stirring something up in my heart and he's going to provide if the people of God are faithful. I can feel it. And so I gave everyone a Lego this morning. If you could stand your feet. Because I felt like God was saying there are pieces that he has scattered throughout the body. There are talents. There are finances that you have been holding on to that God gave to you so that you could participate in the building of the kingdom of God to become a kingdom builder that God gave you a piece so you could participate because he wants to pour. God gave you a piece so you could participate because he wants to pour. So my question for you is very simple, but it's very difficult at the same time. My question for you this morning is, will you pour? 
Grab that Kingdom Builder card again. I know I already made you stand, so some of you might have to bend over and grab it. But, but go ahead and grab that card. This is what I'm asking. This is what I believe the Holy Spirit asked me or told me to ask. Ask the people to take one step. Wherever you are on this card, if you are a nun, will you take one step and become a contributor here this morning? And maybe you just want to try it for a season. Maybe you would say, you'd mark the, the spot that says, I'll do this for 30 days. I'll do it for 60 days. I'll do it for a year. Would you become a contributor? Maybe you are a contributor. Will you, will you take a risk and become a tither? Will you take one step for a period of time, maybe 30 days, maybe a year? Will you take one step? If you're a tither here this morning, you already know that God is faithful. You already know that God never lets you down. Would you take one faith step and become a kingdom builder for a period of time? And so you can see that there. Would you just, would you just mark in that spot? I commit to take a step and become a contributor, tither, kingdom builder. And if you are, if you are um, committing to become a kingdom builder, would you just write down that one year kingdom builder faith promise there? And in just a minute, Pastor Dan's going to begin to sing, and we're going to ask you to come forward. Our ushers, if you guys could come, you could put the buckets up here for us. Um, we're going to pray, and, and we're going to ask God to speak. And so all across this place, bow your heads and close your eyes, because I know it, it kind of feels like this is being sprung on us this morning, but I think that God can speak very clearly in moments like these. And so let's pray. Dear Lord, would you speak to us? Would you speak to us with clarity? Would you speak to us, Lord Jesus, specifically what you would have us do? Lord, for some of us, it feels like this is just a ploy. This is just a regular church ploy because they're always after my money. But Lord, I pray that you would ignite something in their heart. I pray that you would ignite a willingness to allow you to move in a special and awesome way. But God, I pray that you would speak specifically and those fears and those doubts and those concerns, you would, you would erase, Lord. And let us as a people all take one step, step to be a contributor, step to be a tither, step to be a kingdom builder, because Lord, we know that as we give corporately, you will bless individually. So speak, whatever it is, Lord Jesus, whatever that specific thing is, would you speak? So this is what I want you to do. We got some buckets up here. We got some pins if you need them. I'm going to ask every single one of you to, to fill this out. And we're just going to close with worship. And at the end, I'm going to ask you to come and drop this card into the bucket. If you feel the Holy Spirit is telling you this morning, He wants you to give money here this morning. God has been telling me all, all morning and really all week a specific dollar amount He wants us to give. And so we're giving money here this morning. But would you come and would you drop this card into one of these buckets here this morning? Would you take some time, pray about it, fill it out, and drop a card, filling it out into the bucket so we can be praying about it, so, so we can keep listening for the rain to come? And also, I want you to do this for the sake of the illustration. God gave you a piece to give it back. I gave you a piece of Lego this morning. I want it back. Those are mine, and they're expensive. And we got something to build after church this morning, and I'm not going to be able to build it if I have three wheels and not four. So don't you dare hold on to your peace. Those aren't yours. They're mine. Does that make sense? Pastor Dan.
We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to connect with us, or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com.